Hi, I'm Jennifer Mulholland. And I'm Jeff Shuck. We're the co-leaders of Plenty. Thanks for joining our podcast, Plenty for Everyone. Each episode, we talk with conscious leaders like you to explore abundance in work and life, fulfillment in head and heart, and ways we can all work together to make this world a better place. Welcome, everybody. We are so thrilled to have a conversation with Tom Buffalino, one of our dearest friends at Bean Centauri, who we were introduced to a while ago with a Cruise and Rum project, which we'll probably share a little bit, and then later Jim Beam. He is from the Chicago area, and I am in Park City. I'm Jennifer Mulholland, one of the co-leaders of Plenty, and we're joined here with Jeff Shuck calling in from Michigan City, Indiana. So welcome to our listeners. Welcome, Tom. We're thrilled to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to see you guys. You guys always uh, brighten my day, so being a part of this was an honor to be asked, frankly. We are so glad that you're here. I got to, for people who don't know... Beam Centauri is a massive maker and distiller of spirits. So Jen mentioned Cruise and Rum and Jim Beam. You might know and enjoy Hornitos or Maker's Mark. There's literally dozens of great brands. And that's how we know Tom. I would also say, uh, I got to put a little plug in for Indiana. Tom is a graduate of Notre Dame out my way. So we love seeing those Indiana alums come on the podcast. Thanks for being here, Tom. Sure. Thanks for having me. And I am quite fond of the, the Northwest Indiana uh, <laughs> locale that when people ask me where I went to school, I, I usually say that first because Notre Dame can be a bit polarizing. But when you do the math of what's in Northwest Indiana, there's, there's only a few schools that would pop. <laughs> it's true. So we were just catching up before we started recording and maybe a place to start is your, your newest role, uh, father of two. Sure. March 3rd, we welcomed our daughter, which would, which our second child. So, and we have a son, Gio, who turned two April 18th. So we had for a few or for about 45 days, two under two, which I could proudly say was definitely as crazy as everyone made it out to be. But I think for us and, you know, for Vanessa, my wife, and for the rest of and our family, I think going into the birth, obviously the coronavirus was, was on the radar at the, at the end of February. And as we entered the hospital, it was kind of hitting news in places, but it wasn't at the level that it is today. And so when we went to have the baby, there was caution, there was, you know, abundance of caution in the hospital, but nothing over the top. So I think we were happy to have the baby and, and get out of the hospital. And about a week later is really when kind of the national story mm-hmm. and, and narrative and all the shelter in place stuff took hold. So we were, it was interesting to be living this because actually the day they announced the shelter in place in Illinois was my wife and I have the same birthday. And that was two weeks after we, we had a, our second child and we we're sitting there in our house, which we had just, you know, we've moved, moved from the city about seven months ago to the suburbs, which as much as I love Chicago, I'm very happy to have a home and a backyard in light of the circumstances. We sat there, looked at each other and we're like, wow, I don't, I don't even know what we we're going to do because originally <laughs> we had planned to go out to dinner and and then we were like, well, maybe we'll just go for a drive. And then when the shelves are in place, we're like, I don't even know if we can go anywhere. So, so we, we actually had dinner and had a glass of wine and everything was fine. And, but anyways, I, I just say that because that was the kind of the early days and we, it was kind of a novelty. And, and then I think as, as time has gone on, I think being a dad of two and having the chaos in the house of, you know, having 
my mom nearby and, and Vanessa's mom between her and her, her brother's house. We've kind of really kept it close to just the, the grandparents, but it's been challenging to have a new baby and, and want to have people meet her, but not really be able to and be worried sure. and concerned. So it's been, I'd say it's been a, a lot of different things. I, can, I don't know if I can put one word to describe it, but definitely exhilarating, fun and exciting and, and amazing as, as you'd expect. But I think the other part of it's been a bit harder to quantify because it's so odd relative to where we were with Geo. But I think every day it's a new day and, and they're long days. I, I think it's, it's funny. My friends that are single or who, who don't have kids, they, they say this or they say that. And I'm like, I don't even have time to go to the bathroom <laughs> right. or shower. So I, I mean, I would, yeah. I would have read 10 books by now and, and uh, watched a hundred series on Netflix if, I, if we didn't have kids, but you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything else. So, um, yeah. you know, that's kind of my, my synopsis on dadhood at this point. The reality is so different right now for so many people, right? Some people have so much time that don't have the herding cats or the working in different ways, I should say, or parenting. And others are like, where is any second? And then the time goes and then you find yourself like, how did it get to be seven o'clock already? So one of the things I wanted to just tee up, Tom, is um, graciously you shared that, you know, we brighten your day and we just throw that right back at you. Like, we're so grateful to have you as a friend and our client. And one of the things we witnessed about you is you show up real with passion and with inquiry, curiosity in the giant juggle that you face all day long, whether it's now at home as being a dad, but what we've witnessed you and your role at Beam Centauri with the ever-changing musical chairs and change is constant. And that seems cliche, but it is really true of what we've witnessed from your organization. Maybe share a little bit about your role and how you're perceiving, like how are you navigating either the thoughtful reorganizations or the response to COVID and how, you know, you see the employees being taken care of or the working from home, like how are you navigating and balancing now this new role as dad and this giant juggle in your professional career leading one of the largest spirit companies in the world? Maybe I'll start in chunks because I think I want to tell a funny anecdote about when I met you guys and hopefully people will get a <laughs> kick out of it, but it, it will really just kind of person I am and any, any close friend or family member would, would understand why this would, would happen to someone like me because generally I'm definitely a more passionate or emotional or whatever you want to call it person. And I probably in the work world, you get criticized for being too passionate sometimes or, or emotional and, and your emotional intelligence is an area for improvement. And yeah, well, that can be the case, but it also, I think is what drives me, drives me forward every day. And so I think when you guys, when I first met Jeff and Jennifer, we had had some phone calls and I think you mentioned Larry Greifer introduced us and my old manager at the time, Rashid and I were just trying to make sense of how we can help in a time of crisis because of what happened with our distillery down in St. Croix during the horrible hurricane season of, of 2018 or 2017 that was, I guess. So we get all these, all these folks ready, a big meeting, big kind of kickoff meeting or what we call inside of Beam Centauri an interagency team, which is basically a fancy way of getting a bunch of different external partners in a room and talking about a, a strategy. And, and so I think that day we had that plan and we also had the gaunt laid down for Jeff and Jennifer to meet our outgoing CFO, our incoming CFO, our outgoing <laughs> general counsel, our ingoing general counsel, and our, a bunch of other C-level folks. I had never met them in person. So I was like kind of taking a, a risk here to bring <laughs> a partner into a meeting like this, but I didn't know, I didn't know how to talk about 
peer-to-peer fundraising or social impact the way that, that they could and the conversations we had. So we kind of have three different rooms staged in the office, if you can believe it, to kind of run through these different meetings. And I think the one where they sat in front of our leadership team was obviously professional and the facts and the figures that they brought uh, really reassured the team, but they definitely took a lot of friendly fire, I would say, or just like, you know, they, I think our executives were testing the bullshit meter. I think that's what, what Jeff would use. And I think they passed with flying colors. And so as we're, we're leaving that room to go back into the next room that everyone in my team was sitting in as a big glass window. And I walked directly into the glass door because I think I was, I was so energized and charged up from the, the previous meeting that uh, I literally uh-huh. face first into the glass door. And so I think that's probably what a good microcosm of me as a person. Totally. That was definitely one of the funniest witnessing moments of, did someone just walk into that door? Yeah, I tried to act like you brought that up. (laughs) It was like a bird hitting a window, bouncing back. I think I I just kept, I kept going and acted, well, just the way you guys just kind of interrupted. I just kind of acted like it didn't happen. But everyone's like looking at me like, what's wrong with this guy? So anyway. Well, you were running a million miles an hour too. So there's a yeah, lot Yeah, but I think on. that's kind of how the wheels turn inside. At least they're probably going faster than they should. And, and I think what, you know, as I segue into kind of how you guys have helped and how I'm thinking about things, you know, going forward is really about being present and slowing down. And, you know, the things that motivate you are it's important to keep those, but, but then kind of think more slowly and, and act even more so. So as we go into kind of today and what my role is, I think you kind of mentioned Beam Suntory is one of the one of the, the leading premium spirits producers in the world. I mean, our competitors are the likes of Diageo, Pernod Ricard, and uh, you know Brown Foreman. You've seen probably a handful of those, or most alcohol beverage manufacturers have stepped up and pivoted operations to produce hand sanitizer in the U.S. and abroad. But Beam Suntory specifically, I, I was at one point on Cruise and Rum, which is how I met Jeff and Jen, and then moved to a role on the map, the name of the door, Jim Beam. And since we had a reorg, as you alluded, we formed this brand house model where the Jim Beam brand house was actually pivoted and is now called the James B. Beam Distilling Company because, believe it or not, James B. Beam Distilling Company actually not only produces Jim Beam, uh, but they also produce Knob Creek, Basil Hayden's, Booker's Little Book, and a lot more premium brands that consumers don't probably realize. And whether intentional or unintentional over the last 20 years, that linkage has broken apart, yet the family that produces them in Kentucky, Fred and Freddie No, seventh and eighth generation family members, they talk about those brands interchangeably because their father, grandfather created the small batch collection, which is Basil, Booker's, Baker's Little Book, and their great-great-grandfather, Jim Beam, is the one whose name is on Jim Beam White and goes all the way back to Jacob Beam in 1795. But, But I tell you that because that's my new role. My new role was going from a brand, a trademark specific to a portfolio, the sum is greater than the parts. And we're really early in the journey. We've made a couple kind of public announcements around the brand house model, what that means and what that means for my role. So I think COVID notwithstanding, going into this year was going to be a, an interesting year for Beam because we are going implementing a new operating model. We had a new president of brands, a new CEO. So there was a lot of uncertainty. And then you add a uh, global pandemic and it's like, oh, ways of working. What, what are those? And so... It's definitely been a, uh, an interesting couple uh, months. And, I, and I'd say that people have been really resilient, to use a word we use with Crucian and, and the Island Spirit Fund. But I think our leadership and driven by Centauri is that we've approached this as people first. And I think being a private company and being owned by shareholders that really think long-term 
has been really a blessing because if I think as a public company, you're, you're at the whim of the, the stock market and we know that capital markets can do things that, that may be cruel. Whereas as a, I think private shareholders can think much longer into the future versus what is that next quarterly earnings report. And so we received a letter from the chairman of Suntory. And one of the things he said in times like this, you know, we should really be thinking about the new opportunities because whether or not we can act on them, the future is going to be around the corner and it's definitely going to be different. And I think his big piece of advice is they've been around for over a hundred years. They've weathered previous pandemics. They've weathered wars. They're like, He's like, we've lost wars. We've invested in, in brands and businesses that have lost money for 45 years and are now successful. And we're in no different position today with Beam Suntory. And I think his thing was, let's spend boldly on the things that are needed specifically for the future. And let's take these bold actions that are thought differently because the way of doing things is definitely going to be thrown out as we move forward. So hearing him articulate that and talk that way, and then it trickling down to Albert, our CEO, and saying that we're not going to lay people off, we're going to maintain jobs, and we're going to look to evaluate how we spend on the brands in the short term to maintain employment for people is, is really a powerful message to send. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something that I'm proud of. And I think you know, I've been at the company 11 years, and though the leadership has changed, or the parent company, I think, I think the approach to people first is something that is really powerful to deliver. And I think you know when you meet the people the people I talked about, Fred and Freddie, I think you guys have met them, you know, down in Kentucky. That's what these brands embody. And and although brands are probably a 1A to the focus of people being one, or sorry, 1A, 1B, it's an interesting and powerful place to be. So as a a leader and as a employee, I think those are things that that I'm proud of and, and things that, you know, hearing that support from ownership and then to direct management. And then it just makes it a, a better place to, to show up every day, even though we're virtually showing up. And I think how I, you know, impart that on my micro team, which is a couple of folks, actually one person who's on maternity leave. I have a kind of a, an interim coverage team member, and then I have some external partners that are helping support me. And the conversations always are kind of, how are they doing? How are their families? And I think it's, you know, health and safety and mental health is probably first and foremost, before we get into the semantics of, of the work, because if people aren't able to show up and, and dedicate their time to work, then you know that that's a problem. And I think that's where the organization has guided us. So that's you know probably a long answer of how are we doing and what am I doing. But those are the the principles that that we follow, and and they kind of lead to kind of I think another probably interesting topic is just leadership in general during a time like this. Well, before we get there, I mean, one of the things I love this story because it resonates with our own experience, both with Beam Centauri and I think in the social impact space. And, you know, when we are talking with clients about getting started in social impact, we kind of talk about you need the seed in the soil. And the, the seed is an idea, right? Or passionate leaders who want to do something. The soil is the culture of the organization. And, and so many social impact programs fail because there's not a culture of service. There's not a culture of helping. So, you know, you get an idealistic leader who wants to do something to make a difference, but the culture is to monetize every single thing in the short term that walks in the door. And I think one of the things that from the earliest moment we met you, that has frankly extended through every brand and every team at Beam Centauri we've met, is how long-term and service-oriented the culture is. And that idea of 
wanting to help and whether it's making a product that's worth having on your shelf or whether it's having a team of people around that you want to protect and work with or building something with a hundred year vision, like the power of culture is so it's kind of trade, I guess, to talk about how important culture is, but it's so underrated. And that's one of the things I'm hearing in your story a little bit. And I think how we got to you would maybe be fun to go back for people who don't know and just expand on the Crucian story a little bit, because that was when we first met you, you know, your orientation was something tragic's happened. How can we help? And I think that's how we first got yeah. that call from you. Yeah. And I think that, that actually, that's a good story to start with. And as I mentioned, the Suntory mantra about thinking for the future, I think to your point, they are also committed to kind of this mantra of growing for good and, you know, protecting the environment. And the more you grow, that means the more good you can do. And so I think when you apply that to the circumstance that we faced in 2017, Hurricane Irma, and then shortly after Hurricane Maria, just devastating the Caribbean, I was on the brand Crucian Rum, which is based in St. Croix. And frankly, the, the island was decimated. I mean, it was bad. And, and I think the people, there's two leaders down there that are actually three, that without them, we would have been in a, in a difficult position. And that was Gary Nelthrup, whose family has been has been down there forever. And Yandi or Ayanda Daniels, who kind of keeps everyone together from an HR and a communication standpoint. And then we had a, um, a really sad story, but the, the facility kind of um, health and safety manager who, who was down there on site, he did a lot of the work early on. He ended up passing away towards the end of the, of the recovery. But those three folks were really critical to keeping things going. And, and I think what we did in Chicago, our, at the time, our CEO, Matt Shattuck, had, had asked us, what are we going to do? He looked at the brand team and it was interesting because the day before, the, we all knew the hurricane was coming. So the night before, we were sitting in a boardroom and we were actually presenting our rum season plan. So that was the following year. So that would have been sometime in the fall. And we, we were going for an update on, on kind of brand positioning, your, your basic kind of marketing update to your leadership team. And we walked into the room and the, the tone was somber and everyone said, let's not talk about this right now. Let's talk about what we're going to do for our people down there. And it, it, was, it was the same thing. What are we going to do for our people first? And it extended to the community. And so we sat there for an hour and put our heads together on what can we do knowing this hurricane is, is going to hit and it's going to be horrible. And so I think from that moment forward, which was kind of, I call it day minus one to today, $3 million in counting of donations later, we've really come a long way. And I think from that moment, we, we started really pivoting what we should be doing for the brand and for the community, for our employees down there and for the broader community. And that's really what, what birthed the, the Island Spirit Fund. I mean, it sounds simple in hindsight because disaster foundation or, or fund do good. But I think uh, the semantics of getting a large organization to align behind that and actually give money away and tie case sales to a donation to get our distributor partners to do the same was pretty historic, at least in our organization at, at the time. And I think what it's become is, is a great new platform for the brand, for the community. And I think selfishly, or for me personally, I look back at the 11 years at, at Beam Suntory and wherever the future is, by far, I don't think there'll be anything that will, will replace the, the work that we did here because it's something that's, that's bigger than just the bottom line and the profits. And that's where I think the social impact is so powerful because it not only fulfilled me, it fulfilled other people, it fulfilled the organization, but the brand is growing, right? So I think 
you know, Matt, we got the final presentation done. He sat in the room and he said, guys, it's really simple. Make it simple. The more, the more you grow, the more good you can do. And I think that's the way the program was set up. And I think right now it's in service and we've, we pivot to earmark donations to disasters that have occurred throughout mainland United States. Obviously this pandemic is global. And, and, and so there's, there's, I'm sure some funding that will come out of our fund that goes to, to this. I don't, I don't, I can't speak specifically because I'm not on the brand anymore, but, but I think that mm-hmm. was what the mantra was, you know, awaken the island spirit so that no one, no one person would weather a storm alone. And I think when we went down to St. Croix and visited the team, I expected this doom and gloom and this woe is me because people didn't have homes, they didn't have electricity. If people think that staying at home during a pandemic is horrible, imagine being in an island with, with no resources and no home and really kind of no recourse or, or no bailout coming because that's what the environment was. And, and I met the, the team and all they provided was hope and inspiration. And I, and I left, we left that day. And that's where this idea of the island spirit really shifted from us instilling the island spirit to us trying to embody what, what the team and the, the people of St. Croix and Crucian had, because it's that same thing. If you could bottle up what that emotion and that hope and that positivity that the Karen Nelthorpe visitor team had, then I think, you know, you'd have a lot, a lot better world and a lot happier people yeah. than, that may sound, sound idealistic and, and a bit soft and squishy, but that's the reality. I mean, that, and that's what drove this program that, that is delivering monetary benefits to the island and also a new positioning and path forward for the Cruz and Rum brand. Tom, can you just speak a little bit about your experience with Meridian and the strategy to help you get there? Like what happened to help you get to that clarity? And what was that like as we worked yeah. together? I've done it twice now. And I think the first time we went out there and I think we were, as I said, it sounds so simple in hindsight. It was, we were kind of a mess when we went out there and we were, we thought we knew what we wanted to do, but there were still a lot of hurdles and it was like, have we won the building? And, and so when we got there, you were walking into walls for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and when you say when we got there, what are you talking Not, about? What, we got to be... Utah. Yeah, we got yeah. to Utah. Um, to uh, our retreat Salt, center. It was a retreat yeah. center in, in Park City. And by the way, magnificent. We went in, um, that was January, probably 2018, right? That we were there? Right. Yeah. Yep. And so if you're outdoors, people, whether it's January or June, I'm, there's the, the nature out. I just remember when I met you guys and I saw the pamphlet and you said you had a retreat center in Park City in my head as a kind of a person who likes to ski I'm like I have to go there <laughs> but that aside I think when we went, when we got to the site we had a a broad cross functional group of internal folks as well as agency partners we had some creative agencies some some se- really senior level creative folks from our internal agency proof from geometry at the time who was who was John Manley and and Max Lenderman from school as well as Larry Greifer from LMG and so we really had a an interesting group and and I I signed up kind of blindly and, and hoped I had faith and trust in Jeff and Jennifer from my small interactions with them. And I kind of let them, I just trusted that this would work. And I looked at Rashidi and he kind of said, yeah, it's a leap of faith. Let's give it a shot. And so I think we went out there to be completely honest, not knowing if we needed this or if this was going to help. And we just, we kind of had hope and faith. Right. And so I think that was the, the limb we took. And when we got there, I remember grabbing Rashidi and, Jeff and Jennifer right at the start. And I said, guys, I'm not, I'm not sure how everyone's going to react to this because, you know, this is definitely a different way of doing things. For Beam Suntory, we're very fast paced. We're definitely, the, we have a can-do attitude, but people are really 
once there's a problem, they're into solution mode and they're so far down the solution that, that sometimes you might lose some, some valuable nuggets at the strategy phase. So we get there, we do it. And I would say that for me personally, I, my grandmother had just passed away. So it was kind of an escape of sorts at, at that moment. And, and to be thinking about something that was, was bigger than just you know, profits and, and actually making an impact on the environment and the world was, was probably something that was, was welcome for me personally. But I think professionally, every single person that left that room was like, wow, these people really know what they're doing. And I think as there's probably non-traditional methods that you guys deploy to get to a consensus, which is something that organizations struggle, I think us included. And every time I have a meeting that, that I can't create consensus or create alignment, I think about the facilitation work that Jeff and Jennifer led in, in Utah. And I, and I would say that I would recommend it time and time again. I mean, every chance that, that I have in my career to engage and work with plenty is a better day for me. And frankly, I'm on a big project right now that your name comes up constantly because there's ways that we're looking to hopefully borrow your services again that we worked with on the second Meridian project last year. So I guess in a nutshell, I'd say the ability to create executive level and consensus and alignment and clarity is unbelievable. I, and, and the reason I say that is we took the output from Crucian and we presented it. It was simple, right? It was awaken the island spirit so no one weathers a storm alone. And the physical storm is really clear to understand, but the emotional storms are where this becomes really interesting and where the future and the longevity of this island spirit program goes. And, you know, leadership was like, wow, this, this is simple. This makes sense. This is great. Like, mm -hmm. let's go. Fast forward to last year when we brought the Jim Beam team out there and we were, you know, I guess bigger team, bigger brands, bigger budgets, bigger problems. And we left and we had a different experience, I think equally empowering and another different group of agencies and different folks. And uh, I think people left in a similar space and the output of that, again, the Meridian document that was kind of the, I don't know how many, seven Ps or the five, I can't remember how many Ps there are, but, but there's a handful of, you know, purpose, presence and uh, people. And, and we presented that to a subset of leaders in the organization and the same thing. They're like, wow, this is, this makes so much sense. And I think when I left that meeting, I smiled because there's people who are like, oh, wow, we're going to, where people are going out to Utah again. Like, what are they doing in Utah? And, and I think, you know, you always hear the, the naysayers in the background, but, but then when you hear the opposite and you hear leadership and, and, and high senior leaders of the organization saying, this is clear, this makes sense, this is actionable, it kind of makes me feel good because maybe it's just patting myself on the back or the validation that, that I need that there's value in what we're doing and the struggle to get to the output of an aligned point of view is so valuable in business. And I think if I could close on just kind of the meridian process is whenever I, I look to create alignment, I think back to those workshops and I'm always looking for ways to get advice from Jeff and Jennifer and Brian and the team because they have a unique way of doing it. And there's truly an art and a science to creating alignment. And it can't be underestimated in large organizations because without alignment and without a strategy, I mean, we all know that the future is, is much more challenging. Yeah. Thank you for saying yeah. all that. I think the thread, the common thread that you started with and, and you clearly care about as we do is the idea of people first. And I think our intention and kind of how we've architected our strategy process for social impact is starting with people, right? And part of that process is asking the executive leadership what they care about. And 
it's more of an inside out architecture that gets to that simple piece because when people feel like they're heard, their input is received and it's been put in the mix to create that clear outcome. Now they're engaged. Now they have a stake in it. And I'll, I remember that moment where it was almost like, yeah, total aha, the light bulb went off when it shifted from awaken the island spirit to awaken the island spirit so no one has to weather a storm alone. And that storm could be mentally, emotionally, as much as physically. And we had such a juicy, rich conversation around it. And that pulled at the heartstrings of everybody. When we're creating strategy or creating alignment, it's like, what is the unifier? What is the good that we're going to do collectively that we can't do on our own? That's how we grow into good. Right. And it kind of comes all the way back to what you said in the beginning is we got to put people first. Like what is the human face behind the brand? And if we personify the brand, what does he or she care about? And that's, that's the conversation I think that leads to clarity. And we're just so excited to see the impact cruise around the the Island Spirit Fund is having now in its scalability that it can now pivot to or adapt. I hate that word now. It's so overused, but you know, it could modify or include response to COVID disaster or response to people who need emotional and mental support through that fund because it was broad enough yet focused enough to make a difference. I'd love to make one point. I did not think we'd go down this road, but since we're here, I think the other piece I love the word focus that you just said. And, you know, since we're talking about strategy and social impact strategy, you would just say our experience is that most organizations put all of the focus on creating the document. Like there's a three-day retreat to write a PowerPoint document, but imagine a, a football coach putting all of the time with the team into creating the playbook. And then it's time for the game And the coach says, oh, everybody just do what you want when you get on the field, right? But that's like, that's what we do in our organization. Like all the focus goes into writing this nice PowerPoint and presenting it and doing 14 revisions of it. And then we're not really aligned. Everybody read out from it what they wanted to because they put in whatever sentence they wanted to. And we get on the other 362 days of the year after the three-day retreat and everybody does whatever the hell they want. And there's so much about strategy that's just pulling the oars in the same direction, you know, like saying, no, we agreed that we're going to go north, not south. So let's keep going north. And by the way, west isn't north. I think that's a huge part of our learning and a huge part of our process is just getting people to the point that they feel comfortable making a commitment and comfortable saying like, no, we all agree here. And the shiny things over to the right and left aren't going to distract us from where we all agree that we want to go forward. So I just, I love that whole story, Tom. It's really, it's really great to hear you tell it. Yeah. And I mean, again, it, it seems, as I say it, like, it seems like, well, that makes sense. Like it's pretty logical and it's commonplace to think that logically about it. But I, I think to your point, like it doesn't ever happen that way. And, and we had a group of people out there, at least in the first round that some people were support or bought into the, to, to where we were going and others didn't fully understand. It. And I think on, right. on our second endeavor out there, we had a similar situation. So I think dissension is, or whatever, maybe not dissension, but misalignment is, is a huge derailer. And I think putting the time and effort in how we, here's the strategy, but then yeah, giving people the support to then go and execute is, 
is, is critical to, to success. Otherwise, I mean, your football analogy is definitely spot on. Yeah. Well, and now I think more than ever, COVID and has been a period of forced rest or the term, the great pause. Like we have had to get off the hamster wheel, yeah. you know, by choice or not. And I think our hope for businesses and companies and nonprofits and organizations is that we don't lose the gift of this period of time to go back to that sprint pace because there is such value in slowing down so we can speed up. And that is the part, the intent of whether it's bringing people to heart space in Park city or having a, you know, virtual meeting to just slow down, to be present, to see what is, to see what's, the opportunity? What are the challenges? What do people care about? What are the insights in the room? Because if we don't take that time, then people are not engaged. They're not feeling heard. And we're just sprinting in a million different directions. And so it is interesting right now. My, our hope is that we can continue practicing the presence of slowing down so we can really be responsive and innovative to the opportunities that are coming. Otherwise we're not going to see it and we're not going to be able to respond accordingly. Yeah. It's interesting that, that you said that because our, we had a, a marketing leadership call, our president of brands who's new to the organization from, and she kind of got everyone together and she was just trying to solicit kind of how things are going, how are people feeling? And she's like, I'll tell you one thing from this whole virtual working. Yeah, we can, we've definitely figured out new ways of doing things. But we've also picked up some really bad habits, like, you know, because people are all over the place, early morning calls, late morning calls, no boundaries. And she's like, those are the things I want to see go away because those things, we've probably broken some rules that Beam Satori was, tries to kind of limit meetings into certain windows so that people can have time with their family and choose the time they need to get their work done. You know, she brought that up and I know it was really interesting. And then the company even did a forced company holiday the week mid-April because they could tell that people were were drowning and overwhelmed with people that don't have childcare and they're doing e-learning and they've got two parents at home working. Like we're fortunate enough to have childcare at home with, we have a, a nanny and, and without that, I don't know that I could be doing this today or, or even surviving the last two months. And so there's something about that that I think makes sense. And that day that the entire company took a pause, it was amazing because you didn't actually feel like you had to check your email because no one sent emails. And it's interesting to see everyone really enjoyed that. And it happened to be a nice day in the Chicagoland area. So it was a win-win for everyone to get outside and yeah. get some vitamin D and, and decompress. But I think, I think that concept of hopefully we don't get back on the hamster wheel. We do things differently because I think this now shows a different way to do things. People are accomplishing as much, if not more than they were before. Right. We're just doing it differently. And I think that's where, for me, the future is if we can come out you know, improved and better than just surviving and or being destroyed is really where, where I look. And that's where I have hope that I, there is going to be a cure. It is going to get better or a vaccine or whatever you want to call it. And life will come back and it'll be different, but it'll be better. And then I think that's, that's the only thing I can keep in my mind or else I, I will go a little crazy because otherwise there's, you know, the hope is really what keeps the North star. Well, that's a nice, maybe nice set of things to start to wrap up on. I, you know, we, before we started recording and then all through this, we've kind of touched on the idea of leadership and how leadership is changing. And one thing I'm hearing from what you're saying that 
we keep saying, I think, Jen, every podcast we do is that there's a difference between being productive and constructive. And more and more, conscious leadership is about helping lead people to activities, behaviors, and ways of being that are constructive, right? And Tom, earlier you said, wow, if I didn't have these these kids, I might be, I might have done so much more, but spending quiet time with your kids is probably so much more constructive than all the things you could have accomplished. And we're living through this grand reset about, I think, what we see we need from leaders, what we need from ourselves as leaders. And I, I really just love and appreciate that awareness that that being busy doesn't actually necessarily move us forward. And we need people right now who are concerned with and willing to put time to moving us forward together in a constructive way. So it's a a wonderful reflection. Well, and we have such an opportunity collectively now to walk the path of waking up. And whether it's being way more intentional about our time and how we're using it, how we're spending it, and how we're reacting to it. I mean, and giving ourselves a freaking break when we're stressed out and like overwhelmed and doing the parent work juggle. I mean, there's no instructions for this time and each of our scenarios is so different. But what I'm noticing is when I can catch myself, I can see that I have much more of a choice to be intentional about how I'm showing up, how well I'm listening. You know, what is my intent with that interaction and giving myself more breathing room to meander or to have space and not be so crowded. And I think as conscious leaders, we need that break to be able to make the decisions, to be able to lead at a time when leadership is needed now more than ever from each one of us. And it's not going to come from the top. It's going to come from us wherever we are. So you know, really appreciate Tom. There's, we could talk for freaking days with you in terms of just the wisdom and the, the passion and the rightfulness that you have to share. But is there any other closing comments that you would like to, to yeah. say before we wrap sure. up? So I think on leadership, I mean, I have a funny anecdote and, and kind of just probably summarizes who I am. But I think the point about leadership, I think in this time, I've, I've seen it in that people that are good leaders in the organization, there's definitely ones that you're drawn to and you feel like I trust them and I want to keep going. I think anyone could say that, but you know, even more so you've exposed people that aren't good leaders. And it's crazy that, that there's this, this void in people that they don't just have the, the gut to do the right thing. And I think the way I was brought up by my parents with, with having faith and the way I was educated, I, I, I was reading an article I told you guys earlier that priest who married me, Chris Devron, who's based in New York and, and runs a high school out there, quoted an article comparing Dr. Fauci Governor Cuomo, Governor Newsom, and some of the, the similarities they had, well, they were all educated by Jesuits. And there's a philosophy that I didn't even realize until I read the article. I mean, I knew, I knew the philosophy because I, I, I was indoctrinated by it, but it was the mission of Jesuit education is to impart a sense of belonging, which is, which is nurtured in the care of person, of the individual person, and also create a sense of belonging to be kind of become this men and women for others and dedicating their life to you know, God's greater glory. Now, that sounds like a, a beautiful mission statement, but I think the truth is, is some leaders out there are actually bound by these greater missions. And it's really a sense of, you know, being a man or woman for others is something we used to always say in high school. And I don't think you fully realize it until crises happen, because it's easy to be a leader when the times are good, but when the times are tough, is really the measure of a good leader. And, and I think that's kind of how I operate. And I, and I think 
that's probably why social impact and purpose and all those things give me fulfillment and make me the leader that I am because I don't want to get out of bed every day unless I know that what I'm doing is contributing to a larger cause or a bigger purpose because otherwise, in my mind, what's the point? And I think as we look to the future post-COVID, I think companies and leaders, hopefully they really look at what people are saying because people, to your point, have had a lot of time at home to think about what they want to do now. And that point of like, yeah, I get to lay on the couch with my son or daughter and spend a little bit more time than I probably wouldn't have before because I was commuting to the office or traveling or whatnot. And those moments are invaluable. And it's really a blessing, you know, is if you look at it on the, on the flip side. And so when I come out of it, is my point of view about where I work and what I do going to be different? I have to imagine a lot of people out there will. And so I hope leaders of companies are thinking that way. And I think the last thing to close is the that this pandemic can really, and the situation can really grab a hold of you and, you know, make you kind of go a little crazy. And a couple of days ago, it was a Cinco de Mayo. And so my wife and I, we were going to order tacos. And so really simple, right? Go to get tacos and, and pick them up. And well, something came up that day. I forgot to call them on time. And then, then the line was busy. And then I was like, we both had in our mind, we really wanted tacos. <laughs> really silly, but like we had mentally prepared. And so it wasn't going so well. So we're driving around, we're calling these taco places. None of them are answering. We finally go to the one we wanted to do. And there's a lady inside and didn't speak great English. My Spanish was, was not so good. And anyways, I tried to order. And so we're sitting there and everyone's coming. We're waiting, we're waiting. And they said it was going to be 10 minutes. It's now 40 minutes. The order comes out. The order is wrong. And our son at home and our baby at home, it just turned into a disaster. Right? So we get home. My mother-in-law's there. Gio's upset. <laughs> the baby's crying. We didn't even get enough food for the adults, let alone Gio. And we're scrambling <laughs> to the kitchen. And I was so angry. Like you couldn't even imagine my friends. I, I told my two good friends, they're like, oh, Tom, I can just picture your face and what you were saying. And I said, and I was so angry by something that was so silly, but it was all about the expectation and the desire that we had. And my wife actually was the bigger person and was like, just like, she took care of it all. Right. And she made it all, it was fine. And she's like, you eat the tacos, I'll figure everything else out. And I guess the way I just end this is that, you know, I was so dead set and focused on something and it was so out of my control and I was like damning this virus and it was really not the virus. It was just our <laughs> poor planning and execution of a plan. And so I think it's like, yeah, the virus is responsible for a lot of things, but how you react to things is really what yeah. makes things worthwhile. And it's kind of, you know, a mantra that as, as a leader, I, I try, try my best to not react the wrong way, but there's sometimes when you just can't control it. So, You're human too, uh, darling. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. that's kind of my my ending of of where we are as a family and as and and how work's going. Well, we keep saying to people like, look, if you haven't had a tantrum at some point during or last, several, yeah, the last day. I mean, then you're not paying you're not awake. Pay, you know? Yeah. Thankfully, we make some good spirits that allow us. Yeah, that definitely helps. The increase of spirits (laughs) is alive and well in our whole household. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for being here. I was going to try to make a taco joke, but it's not coming to me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. To be continued. Yeah, I hope I can see you guys soon. And uh, I don't get to do this during my normal day, course of the day. So this was definitely a... uh, reset and re-energize for me. So I appreciate uh, the conversation. And, and like I said, uh, for anyone else watching, that if you have an opportunity to work with, with the Plenty mm-hmm. team, I think Jeff calls Sierra and Brian the Plenty Elves or some fashion of that. There's more magic to just Jen and Jeff to what they can pull off because there's a bigger team and 
they really are a great organization that I know and I hope that I get to continue to work with throughout my career. Likewise. Thanks so much. And if you want to drink more spirits, you know where to go. <laughs> yes, give me a call. Exactly. So for those, as a, that's a nice reminder. So for people who yes. are listening, who want a little more insight on the wonderful company that is Beam Centauri, you can find it at beamcentauri.com. And for more information about Meridian, our strategy process that Tom talked about, you can find it at plentyconsulting.com slash Meridian. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating a positive rating and hit subscribe. And we hope to have you again for another conversation about conscious leadership and the difference we can all make together. Thanks for tuning in. Join the conversation and learn more at plentyconsulting.com.